to our Connected Home episode of the Tech UK podcast. My name is Theodora Koneva and I will be your host of the day. I'm the program manager for Smart Energy Utilities, Transport and the hot topic of the week, the Connected Home Group. Today we're going to discuss our fantastic collaboration with GFK, with whom we are publishing our third edition of the Connected Home Report. In conjunction, we are running a whole campaign on the Connected Home markets. For more information, you can visit our Connected Home webpage. We have a set of amazing speakers uh, who will be hosted on this podcast. But now, let's first discover what our key findings are. When we think of the connected home, we not only think of everyday devices and sensors which are connected, which communicate, transfer data and take an autonomous action. Essentially, connected devices intuitively help us to manage and organize our homes. The connected home is also a living ecosystem which consistently grows and innovates. We want to consider not only what is on the market, but also how does it fit within our homes. Do we have the appropriate support infrastructure, such as the right connectivity offer, the right energy tariff to be able to cut on cost and interact with the system? And essentially, do we have enough knowledge to feel confident that we can use those devices and make our homes safer, more comfortable, and ultimately provide us with cost savings? For a third year in a row, with polling from a thousand consumers in the UK, the report highlights how market appeal, consumer understanding and ownership has shifted from 2016, as well as the drivers and barriers to uptake. As part of the 2019 edition of the project, we streamlined the products list to be more relevant to the market. We feel this has led to more accurate data. We also, we have amended our questionnaire to make sure that consumers are aware we are only considering smart connected devices. For the first time this year, we have also assessed the purchasing drivers of consumers and have further explored the main barrier that has been stumbling block for the last three years, which is cost purchase. We have analyzed what types of devices the consumers use to control their environment and what role the ecosystem plays. When we talk about the ecosystem, we are considering the whole infrastructure, such as energy providers, electric vehicles, and smart meters as a gateway for those products and connected home. The report also covers how Tech UK is working with industry and government to tackle some of these challenges. It makes recommendations to encourage widespread adoption as well. Within our key findings, we have found that in 2019, a record eight out of 10 consumers know something about the smart connected home. Confidence and brand recognition are stronger amongst consumers. All of top categories of products have grown. We have discovered that 46% of consumers own a smart TV. 22% smart speakers and 19% smart fitness and activities trackers. Other products which scored high in ownership and appeal, especially amongst the age group of 55 plus, are smart detectors for smoke and gas leaks, which is different to a younger group, which 
mostly owns smart entertainment products and fitness and activities trackers. Smart domestic appliances have been the fastest growing category in terms of appeal. We have assessed the usage of smartphones, tablets, smart speakers, laptop. We also identified what is the consumer's willingness to pay. When additional benefits are recognized, 52% of consumers are willing to pay more for a smart rather than a non-smart product, especially when it comes down to security systems. With regards to health, consumers are willing to pay a premium for monitoring devices. We have discovered that smartphones are the number one means of controlling other smart devices. Interestingly, however, smart entertainment scores high on neither being operated by a smartphone, tablet, or smart speakers. Smart energy and lights is highly operated by smart speakers. Our top drivers for adoption for 2019 is confidence in ability to use a smart device for the first time, interoperability, and comfort. Consumers expect connected home devices to be easy to use and to work with other products in their personal ecosystem. In categories such as health, though, um, the drivers are slightly different than being fun and comforting. Smart entertainment has the highest purchase drivers for 2019. Top barriers to adoption, which have been consistent with previous years, are cost, privacy, and lack of knowledge. Although smart appliances have scored higher on appeal, they seem to have the most purchasing barriers and appear still costly for the consumer. Whilst cost continues to be the most significant barrier for adoption of smart products, we can also see that it can be overcome by clearer and targeting messaging. As in previous years, the ability to demonstrate the value of smart devices at point of sale is a key factor for enabling growth and breaking down some of these barriers. We're also beginning to see the emergence of the concept of an ecosystem of products from a consumer perspective. This concept has long been held with the industry, but to date, we haven't seen a huge resonance in the consumer's mind of the same. We believe this might be partly enabled and accelerated by the increasing ownership of smart speakers, which are fundamentally built around the existence of an ecosystem of connected devices. The good news for brands and the industry is a key finding that consumers are willing to pay premium for smart products once the added value of owning has been clearly explained to them. In our recommendations for industry, we have included to continue to develop our narrative around the value and benefits that smart home technology can deliver. This report shows that industry is still struggling to do this, although momentum does appear to have shifted in the last 12 months. To actively work together to address concerns that consumers have about the security and privacy of the smart home, this will require tangible action and TechUK will continue to convene industry to address these issues. Establish and deepen the messaging around how the ecosystem and network of smart home technologies can bring even greater benefits to the consumer. 
some of our recommendations for government are to recognize the role that smart home technologies can play in delivering against some of the industrial strategy grand challenges of an aging society and clean growth, including the goal to be carbon net zero by 2050. To work with industry to help address security and privacy concerns, this can be through the technical assistance of the NCSC, to where necessary include cybersecurity of devices and products and regulation. To work together with connectivity providers and energy suppliers to provide the best ecosystem for the market to flourish. This includes pushing forward and commitments made in the smart systems and flexibility plan. Delighted to have uh, Jay Chinadurai, chair of our Connected Home Working Group. Hi, Jay. Hi, Tio. Jay, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, your work in the Connected Home space and a little bit about informatives as well? Sure, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I've been chair of this group now for almost two years, but I've been a member of the group for three years. So I've, I've had quite a bit of experience in Connected Home. And before being part of the member of this group, I also been in consumer electronics for sadly a very long time. So connected home is almost part of my DNA. Um, in terms of Informatis, I'm a board advisor to Informatis. Informatis is a very small startup, uh, which is headquartered in Japan. It originally was part of Sony Corporation, uh, where I also spent a bit of time, uh, and they spun out about five years ago, we have a small team, engineering team, based in Cambridge. And actually, uh, we are very proud of the teams. Uh, what Informatis does, in a very simple uh, phrase, is we take energy data, particularly electricity data, and from that, we work out a lifestyle fingerprint of customers. So, for example, if you have a cup of tea, we can know from a single sensor how many cups of teas you've had today versus the day before, the day before. And if there is a huge difference, we will then send an alert to your loved ones so they can then kind of do a little check on you to see if everything's okay. So this is our first entry into what we call assisted living space, but using non-intrusive technology. So we don't use any cameras, we don't use any sensors, we just use a single energy monitor. That's fantastic. So we have been doing this report for three years now and we see quite a dramatic change in some respects to uh, the findings each year. How has this year uh, been different from, from others uh, in terms of our findings and in terms of our experience as well? Sure, so I think my feeling, uh, my personal feeling and also from an industry point of view, I think the industry is maturing every year. And I feel like this year we're now coming at a tipping point and one of the ways to judge that, actually, uh, three years ago when we launched this report, we had more people from the Connected Working Group uh, than members in the audience. Uh, we had about <laughs> three journalists and we had about six members. But that was deliberate because we weren't sure whether the market was ready for this. Last year, as you know, we had around 30 people. This year, we're hoping that we might actually double that number. Yes. So in a way, I think the market itself has grown in the same way. Uh, and I do believe that we're now at a point where you don't have to explain to people what connected home is, which we had to in the first year. Uh, and I mean consumers, not industry people. 
and that's a good sign. So I think we're going in the right direction. Therefore, my feeling is it's very positive. It still has a lot to go, by the way. But nevertheless, I think we have reached that tipping point where you don't have to tell people what a connected home is anymore. And what are some of the more exciting trends that you have found uh, from our survey this year? Is there anything that surprised you? I think the one thing that surprised me was how the average consumer has recognized AI as a trend because within industry we know about artificial intelligence, we've talked about it for years, so that's come into the common person's vocabulary. And one of the reasons I believe for that is smart speakers. Now interestingly by the way, when we first started the report three years ago, smart speakers was a category but in the previous year, i.e. 2016, there was nobody that had a smart speaker. And without giving too much away, as you know, this year, it's one of the fastest growing categories in in our report. So that dramatic shift, both in terms of the product, but also the knowledge of customers in this industry, I think for me is one of the biggest uh, uh, eye openers, if you like. Yes, absolutely. And um, 67% of the um, interviewed consumers knew um, about artificial intelligence. Wow. Um, Yes. Well, that's you see, that's an <laughs> that's an eye opener for me because in industry, I would say that figure may not be that much higher, sadly. Yes. So if consumers are saying that, that's a pretty big number. That definitely speaks uh, to uh, to to industry. It's yeah. a very good finding. We see this year that the same barriers remain: cost, privacy, insecurity, um, lack of knowledge. Do you think? There is a lot more to be done from industry or government to support the consumer and to bring more confidence. I think there is a lot more to be done from both industry and government. But like you know, this is a slow process. This is not, you know, an overnight trend. Uh, And this is, if you like, an oil tanker. So it takes a long time to get there. But the signs are that I think these are coming together. Uh, So I think the smart speakers, again, is a very good example of these three concerns because it's about privacy, it's about security. What they've managed to do, though, if you look at that as an example, is they've taken cost barrier away. They've made that really, really cheap so that people then have that product and then they decide whether or not it's actually invading their privacy or not. So I think that might be a sign for people to say, try the product by perhaps reducing the cost or making some sort of incentive and then address the issues of the privacy. The privacy and security is very, very important. We can't take it lightly, but it's a long, slow journey. I don't think we can do this overnight. Yes, definitely a lot more to be done. Definitely. Jay, um, earlier in in the podcast, we have mentioned that as part of our larger Connecting Home campaign, uh, we have run a lot of blogs. Um, we have uh, the websites uh, running uh, on the Tech UK uh, website as well. And uh, today at the launch event here at Tech UK, uh, we are exhibiting some demos and Informatis is one of our demonstrations. Can you tell us a little bit about your demo today? Absolutely, I'd be delighted to. So as I mentioned, Informatis is a small company based in Japan, uh, but we also have a team in Cambridge. And I'm delighted to say that today, for the first time in public, we're going to demonstrate a new app that we've developed called InfoCare. InfoCare is a very simple app. It's an app whereby we install a sensor in your 
elderly parent or relative's home and we give the app to the what we call a carer, which could be a daughter, a son or a friend. And this app is very, very simple. What this app does is it gives you, using the single sensor, a fingerprint of the lifestyle of the customer. So for example, I have this installed in my own home. I can look at today's uh, events that have happened in my home. By events, we mean any electrical appliance that's been switched on or off. So for example, a kettle, microwave, dishwasher, washing machine. So the first thing you can do with this app is keep an eye on your elderly parent or relative just by looking at this app without having to do any kind of camera monitoring. The second thing the app does is it over time, about usually a week, it learns what is a normal pattern. So how many cups of tea do you have? How many times do you use microwave, etc. And then if that pattern is significantly deviated, it sends a soft alert through the app to the carer to say, hey, you know, nobody's had a cup of tea for uh, six hours. Maybe you want to check up. So you then pick up the phone and ring. There's a third feature which we hope nobody ever gets hold of. We also monitor what we call dangerous situations. So, for example, if an oven is left on for six hours, which is unusual, then we uh, issue what's called a red alert, which means you should take action immediately. And we hope to have that in the market. We're just trialing it now. We hope to have it in the market early next year. Yes, how exciting. We see so much innovation going on in uh, the health and social care um, um, space. And uh, we will be talking a lot more about that in October as well. We certainly will, and I look forward to that. Yes. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you, too. I'm delighted to welcome Trevor Godman, Key Account Director for GFK. Welcome, Trevor. Thank you. Trevor, your company, GFK, is hugely passionate about what you do. And this is our third year in a row uh, we've run the survey. Um, it has been a pleasure working with you. After coming through those three years of surveying consumers about the connected home market, mm-hmm. what does connected or smart mean for those consumers? I think that is a really important question. And I think what we were thinking then is smart home. Um, probably five or six years ago, it was very much on the horizon. Um, And where we are now, I think, um, there's increasing consumer adoption, but it's in particular parts of their home. Um, So we've seen huge growth in take up of of smart speakers. Um, And they are an access product, if you like, to the category. Um, But they're not entirely a home product. To some extent, they compete with Spotify when you're commuting. Um, or Netflix when you're out and about. Um, I think what we're starting to see is is little pockets of smartness appearing in people's lives. Um, And I think we will see in the next year or two increasing clarity about how those products start to kind of coalesce together and make, for example, the management of your home work a little bit more effectively or how your kitchen appliances can efficiently use energy um, and how that collaborates with electricity supplies, for instance. Um, so I think we're seeing come a little bit more clarity behind what felt like this slightly meaningless futuristic thing five or six years ago. And how do you see this market progressing in the near future? Uh, because we have assessed uh, the market last year. We 
uh, did not think the consumer is ready. Do you think the consumer is ready? I think large parts of the consumer audience are, are ready. Um, so if we look at under 45s, um, very large proportion um, of those people own multiple smart home products. Um, now, lots of those are, as I said before, not, not necessarily home products. They're a smart TV, and it's a smart speaker, and it's a fitness tracker. And we can debate kind of where they fit, really, into a, a smart home environment. Um, but lots of them are, are using their smart speaker to control some smart lighting. Um, we see a little pocket of consumers um, who are at, at the very other end of the spectrum, um, sort of over 55, over 65 year, years old, um, where the only connected home device necessarily own is a, is a smart detector, something that meets a very different need. Um, and I think that is one of the areas where, as, as an industry and as governments and regulators, we need to work out how which markets will, which parts of the market will pull themselves towards smart home, and which others have very real needs that can be met by smarter technology, but where they will need to be led to those products by other organisations. And for this year's report, we have also started to um, point out some of the other offerings, such as energy tariffs, um, electric vehicle fallout. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the ecosystem in particular, but how do you think industry should focus um, on their own market segment? I mean, it's absolutely critical for, for most providers in that space. I think that there are some exceptions, Google and Amazon, who are providing the, the kind of the platform to which everything else plugs in um, would be exceptions. But I think if you are trying to produce a, a, a smart security product, um, you really need to kind of focus on what that product does. Um, think about it in terms of its how that need has traditionally been met by locks and doorbells and little spy holes in the door. Um, think about how your product meets those needs in a different way, provides additional and superior benefits to consumers, who, the, who your alternative competitors are, the other ways that that need can be met. And you should be keeping that focus relatively narrow to make that product as effective as possible within a smarter context. Um, I think there's a danger of, um, so certainly as an sort of an outsider looking at the industry as a whole, smart home is, is really big and connected home is, is, means all sorts of different things plugging together, but it's, it's slightly amorphous. Um, I think my advice is really to make that really tangible and specific, um, to focus on what you can do and what you can do better than anybody else. That's how commercial success will arrive. And what would you say is the most interesting finding of, of the survey for this year? Maybe something that we didn't expect, per se. The most interesting finding from, from this year. I think one of the things that, I think there are two things that are kind of interesting data points. One, um, partly because we're sat here on a slightly greyer day in a very average June. Um, <laughs> a year ago, we were in the middle of an absolute heat wave. Um, and that quite specific piece of context meant um, that we saw sales of um, smart cooling equipment. So, so smart fans, smart air conditioning type products, um, increased sale, sales increased 50% year on year. So that kind of specific thing dri drives a real tangible market impact. I think the other thing that surprised me a little bit is that we see 
a decline in really strong appeal of, of smart entertainment amongst people who own smart TVs and smart speakers. And it's, it's interesting because I don't know quite what to make of it. I don't really believe that at scale, people who've bought Amazon and Alexa's or Google Homes or other smart speakers are, are genuinely disappointed by that experience. Um, but I think we need to learn a bit more um, or think a bit more about what it really means for how those, those entry devices are now and will be really plugged in to, to kind of connect their homes up more meaningfully in the future. Those, I think, would be the two interesting data points for me. Was it a surprise to see that smart appliances are probably one of the fastest growing categories for this year? Um, it is in some ways. I think we need to bear in mind the fact that smart appliances are quite a small category to start with, so you can yes. have really strong growth rates from there. Um, um, but, but that said, we, we have seen strong growth, particularly in, in sales of washing machines. Um, that's up kind of 25% year on year. Um, it's also one of the areas where what smart and connected means is, is kind of different in the kitchen context um, to some other devices. Um, so a lot of the times those smart devices are connecting via Bluetooth to somebody's phone to do some diagnostics. Um, they're not necessarily... Um, allowing you to say, oh, actually, I'm going to be home two hours later than I thought. Don't put the washing on yet. So, so exactly how those benefits play out in a much slower moving category. Um, people don't replace their washing machines or their fridges very frequently. So that will, will take some time to evolve. Um, and just to conclude, do you see those trends developing further or do you think there will be a disruption um, of any of those categories? there will almost certainly be a disruption somewhere. <laughs> Whether they're genuinely external or, or slightly peripheral factors that will cause some of that disruption. Um, so whether that's about um, different electricity tariffs providing a different reason for people to say, actually, it's worth investing in something which allows me to capture a better tariff. Um, or whether home electricity generation or... Um, growth in uptake of, of electric vehicles just provides um, a, a logical um, hub, if you like, um, that, that makes something make sense, kind of the missing piece of the jigsaw that makes, for, again, for certain types of consumer, um, a real benefit arise that drives a real change in behaviour. Okay. Thank you so much, Trevor, for being on our podcast. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here with Rajni Nair, Senior Policy Researcher at Citizens Advice. Hi, Rajni. Hi, Theodore. Hi. So uh, we have given a little bit of an introduction of the connected home market and what uh, Tech UK is involved with. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an amazing opportunity to hear from Citizens Advice being a consumer-looking uh, organization. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about Citizens Advice, um, your work, um, and how does that fit within the Connected Home uh, conversation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Citizens Advice, we represent consumers in the energy market. So that's both in their homes and um, uh, the smallest businesses. Um, and what we do is we work right across the sector. So we work on everything from networks to the energy retail market. 
Um, and the way that we've been working in this sector is that we're very aware of the changes that are happening in the energy market at the moment. So things like the government's intention to go net zero by 2050, which means there's going to be a massive transformation of how we heat our homes, how we travel, and a real need to increase generation um, in renewable energy. And because of all these different changes, uh, we've started a work programme um, called Future Energy Consumers, and we're doing a lot of research into what consumers need and want. And part of that research is looking at connected homes and the technologies people bring into their homes, how it might interact with an energy supply. That's amazing. We have been starting to notice that uh, within the connected home uh, space, um, the ecosystem plays a vital role uh, for uptake and our uh, and the consumers are vastly looking to not only purchase connected home devices, but to think about also, do they have the right connectivity? Do they have the right energy tariff? A lot of uh, the consumers are buying electric vehicles and how does that fit within their home as, as a whole? Um, what drives the desire for connected home um, products uh, in the energy space? So I think um, there's a real opportunity for industry because of some of the changes that I mentioned before. So there's a real opportunity for them to facilitate that transition and help people use energy at times where, where there may be an excess of renewable energy available. Um, and we also see technology as a, a gateway to new services, new market models um, and support. And a lot of these market models are being innovated as we speak. Um, and so technology is a really important part of this. And what do you think is the biggest challenge in the sector at the moment? Yeah, so we've been doing a lot of uh, research as part of that Future Energy Consumers Programme that I mentioned earlier. As part of that work, we've been mapping the customer journey as people engage with connected technologies um, in the energy market. And we find that there are multiple challenges that the industry needs to start addressing. Um, so the first one is the one that you've just mentioned, Theodora, about how difficult it is to understand the value of technology, um, like smart appliances and their associated ecosystems. Um, for some products, uh, there are multiple possible financial benefits, and to really disaggregate and understand those financial benefits, you need to understand multiple complex calculations, and uh, it's really difficult for a consumer to engage with that. Um, assisting customers to make the right decision is absolutely crucial for this industry. Um, we already see sort of companies collaborating and often offering bundled products and packages uh, which cover not just technology but also services. And this means the way people encounter new technology may not just may not be as simple as purchasing a product. Um, and this could really cloud that sort of price transparency and make it really difficult for them to compare like for like easily. And what we also know is, for technology-included models, it could have wider implications on ownership, maintenance, warranties, liability and contract length, to name a few. So these are some of the challenges that we see cropping up um, during our customer mapping, but I'm sure there are very many more that I haven't mentioned um, here. 
Yes, I think um, from Tech UK's perspective, and in particular in this report, we also find that knowledge is one of the major barriers uh, for adoption. Um, we do have advised uh, industry and government to work together on delivering um, a, a wider message of those benefits. And um, last year and this year, we've also seen that the um, implementation of smart meters have been seen as a gateway for the consumer to engage not only with the energy market, but to also purchase multiple connected home devices. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So actually some other research that we've done um, looking at consumers' early experiences of smart meters suggests only about 7% were uh, having a smart meter installed because they were interested in some of the other uh, products and services that become available once you have that smart meter installed. Um, so I, I think I think there's probably a mixed picture about how much people really understand about that wider ecosystem. And what do you think consumers think about data? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> so our, our research indicates that people are happy to share their preference data. So things like, I want my washing machine um, completed by 6 p.m. tonight. So they're happy to share that type of data, but they become more concerned when data is pieced together and it creates a picture of their lives and compromises their security and their safety. More generally, there's a, a real privacy paradox for consumers. So their privacy attitudes tend to diverge from their actual behavior. And why does this happen? Well, um, there are a number of sort of market failures towards privacy. So privacy options tend to be quite rigid. So it's either opting into sharing all of your data or you're opting out and losing access to that service or product that you really want to um, have. And secondly, while companies tell you what they'll use your data for and offer you opportunities to change your settings, often it's not very upfront. Um, it's not easy to understand. Uh, and it's not immediate to getting that change that you want. So at Citizens Advice, one of the things that we've been working on is a proof of concept for a smart meter data dashboard. So this is a dashboard where you can see who's accessing your smart meter data, how often, and give you the opportunity to amend your preferences right there and then. Such transparency, simplicity, and control really does give people that confidence um, and as data sharing becomes more complex, um, for example, from device to device or device to service, these tools are really important. We do think that um, consumers are quite confused um, around data. Um, it is very scattered um, around um, knowledge of where do the data go, how much information is collected by companies. It is interesting how uh, consumers think that um, smart appliances data is connected to their financial data. So we see that uh, there needs to be a clearer messaging, not only from uh, industry, but also at retail level as well, uh, which is very, very important. Yeah, we definitely agree with that. Do you have any thoughts on what we need to do to support the consumer. Yeah, I think um, 
If things go wrong, people really do need to know where to go and who to speak to. Um, But as technologies and services start to mix, knowing where to go might not be obvious. So for example, if an energy bill increases, um, the possible reasons might lie with their energy supplier. It could lie with a third party offering energy management solutions um, or the actual technology. And in our research, we found people use the word manufacturer interchangeably um, when referring to multiple organisations that might be involved in that connected um, home device space um, and the energy supply. And we also know in an increasingly connected home, it might not be easy to identify who or what is at fault, which means added confusion for consumers and a longer complaints resolution um, time. So companies should think really carefully about the diagnostic tools that they have in place and how they refine that customer journey. Consumers should also have access to independent advice um, and alternative dispute resolution schemes if a problem does need to be escalated. Um, We've seen that uh, Citizens Advice have been doing also some uh, research around new models uh, within the energy sector uh, using technology and also around the wider ecosystem uh, within the home, such as smart charging. Can you tell us a little bit more about that research? Yeah, so we've we've seen some very interesting findings um, from our research looking at what consumers and drivers find acceptable about smart charging solutions. Um, And we've had a real mix of reactions to different smart charging offers and what we find is is that there's not one particular offer that consumers think um, would be suitable for them. In fact, there's no one size fits all. It's a mixture of offers would suit a mixture of people, um, which is really interesting. Um, and we've also done some forthcoming research, which is yet to be published, looking at the accessibility of future retail market models um, and also uh, people's preferences about those market models. And what we find um, is that there are particular barriers that might um, be high barriers, but also affect the most people. And those types of barriers include um, people who who have insufficient savings, who are digitally excluded, who lack the motivation to engage. And all of those barriers might um, pose a risk to mass adoption for certain uh, market models. Would you have any recommendation for industry and how to tackle some of those challenges? Yeah, so we're still sort of um, thinking about what the recommendations should be. Uh, And one of the recommendations that we're talking about is how industry could provide a non-digital route uh, to engagement. Um, But we're also thinking about some of the other barriers, like if you live in the rented sector, how can you have the autonomy to um, buy certain products, have them installed, etc, etc. We're wondering what kind of new rights should there be for the rental market as well. That's amazing, Rajneem. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. No worries. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to have Talal Rajab, Head of Cybersecurity here at Tech UK. Hi, Talal. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being here. 
Would you like to tell us a little bit more about uh, Tech UK's cybersecurity work? Yep. So for those that don't know, uh, Tech UK has quite an active and vibrant cybersecurity program. We've got roughly 200 uh, companies signed up to the program, ranging from your household you know, names, your, your semantics and fire eyes, etc., all the way down to a wide range of uh, startups and SMEs. And essentially what we do for our members in this space is threefold. We help them grow their business. So we work very closely with the cyber growth team at DCMS to uh, make sure that we've got a burgeoning and growing cybersecurity market uh, and a good demand for cyber products and services. Um, we also provide advice and guidance to those companies, whether it's in the form of responding to legislation on their behalf, um, providing consultation responses, or even just informing them about latest um, regulatory developments. And then lastly, we run thought leadership events around new and exciting trends that are coming up in the cybersecurity market. So from uh, topics like quantum and cybersecurity and the effects that quantum technology might have on the sector, uh, to AI, uh, you know, cyber and financial services and so forth. So we'll, we'll try and run a series of thought leadership type events um, on, on cybersecurity for our members. That's amazing, thank you. In uh, the state of the connected home, um, in the last uh, three years, we see a reoccurring um, top barriers for uh, consumers uh, purchasing smart connected devices. Uh, one of the uh, consistent barrier has been uh, security and privacy for the market. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the work that uh, you're doing in that particular space? Yeah, I guess it's not really surprising that consumers are concerned about security. Um, you know, every day, every other day, you go on the news, you go you're on the BBC website, and there's a story of a security breach. Um, you know, products that haven't traditionally been connected to the internet now are, and that has in the past led to a wide range of different vulnerabilities that hackers have exploited. So it's, it's quite clear that, you know, consumers have been um, afraid of some of these scare stories, and that's put some of them off um, purchasing or um, connected home products. Uh, but I think what, what we're moving to now is um, the onus moving away from the consumer and onto the manufacturers of these um, products and services. We can't expect um, consumers to understand all the different security protocols that go into a device. We can't expect them to um, reconfigure uh, devices themselves to en enhance the security or, or add um, security on top of the devices that they've purchased. Consumers want to go into a shop, pick a product off the shelf, plug it in and get it working straight away without having to worry about security. So I think going forward, what we're going to see now is a, is a shifting of the burden away from consumers understanding and implementing security to security being built in by design and manufacturers explicitly stating um, how, uh, you know, how important they value security, how important they value the data um, that their consumers have uh, and how important they value the protection of that data as well. So that's probably where I think we'll be going in the future. What do you think are the top uh, messages uh, from uh, the security by design work? Yeah, so, so last year, um, I think government has, has seen the direction of travel as well. So last year, they published their secure by design report, which looked at the security of consumer IoT products. Um, and what they found was that there, there were a large um, variety of, of, of products that were on the market that are sort of bringing the rest of the market down in terms of their lack security. So uh, within the code of practice and the report that was published, there were 13 guidelines 
that government um, expected or, or wanted IoT manufacturers to follow um, in order to uh, safeguard their consumers' data and, and, and safeguard their security. Um, the 13 guidelines are quite wide-ranging, but they focused on three, on, on the top three, uh, and they were um, no default passwords, implementing a vulnerability disclosure policy so that if um, a vulnerability is noticed by an academic researcher, for example, there is somebody for that researcher to contact within the companies for them to be able to implement um, a change to, to the product. And then lastly, enabling over-the-air software updates um, so that, you know, products can, can, can be regularly updated. Um, so these three um, principles and guidelines are what we would expect um, good uh, manufacturers to be doing anyway. So and I think the vast majority of manufacturers are in some shape or form abiding by some of these guidelines. Um, but uh, through the code of practice and through the government's actions, what they're trying to do now is bring that into regulation through, um, through legislation, um, which will therefore force companies that are entering the UK market uh, to abide by those three guidelines, and I think that will hopefully bring uh, bring the level of standards up a notch. And we know that um, with regards to this particular work, uh, we know that industry has uh, some considerations around it. Can you just highlight um, some of those considerations? Yes, yeah, so I, I think the vast majority of our members are, are supportive of the principle behind Secure by Design. I think a lot of our members understand that in order for the consumer IoT market to grow and, 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 and to thrive, um, it needs to be underpinned by good security. Um, however, how that is implemented is probably where there's a lot of contention. Um, the, um, the process and the time period being allowed for companies to implement some of these um, some of these guidelines is uh, maybe a little worry for, for, for some of them, um, you know, particularly for large global companies. Um, it, it, you know, it can be quite difficult to, to sort of go back through the supply chain and, and, and implement some of these policies. So I think um, the main reservations are, are mainly around um, implementation and time uh, rather than the actual principle of having products secured by design and secured by default. And um, another... Um Another barrier for the consumers uh, with regards to the connected home has been lack of knowledge, uh, which I think it does bring uh, quite a bit of um, discontent from, from the industry um, to the consumer. Um, and how do you think industry should inform that all of these wonder wonderful things are happening in the background? How do you think industry should... Um, should bring up the confidence that uh, the appliances or the connected products uh, they are purchasing are um, the right for them? Well, I think you're definitely right in saying that there's a lack of knowledge um, amongst consumers as to the security behind the products that they're buying. I think that's also led to the situation where we are now. Um, any legislation and any policy that's brought in has to be complemented by a consumer awareness campaign. Now, I'm not entirely sure whether that's um, the job of industry to do. I think government also has a role to play, um, you know, in, in ensuring that consumers understand um, why one product may be more secure than another, um, the things to look for in products to ensure ensure their security, um, and that will then um, therefore increase their confidence in the products that they're purchasing. It will also ensure that bad practices are weeded out of the market, um, and you might not even need regulation or legislation um, in the end, if consumers are more aware, if they understand 
um, and, and they're encouraged to purchase products with, uh, which are more secure than the market will follow. Um, if there is a demand there for secure products, um, then uh, manufacturers and companies will, will follow that. Um, but companies can do can do more themselves, you know, putting more details on the website about um, the products uh, that they're offering uh, and using security as a market differentiator, um, I, I think would, would be beneficial for companies because it would then start to um, set them apart from some of their competitors. Um, and uh, what are the next stages uh, for the code of practice? Yeah, so we've just come out of a, a public consultation which took place uh, over May, uh, ended on the 5th of May. So government's now uh, taking a lot of that evidence back. They'll be um, reviewing the evidence that they've received both from people like ourselves but also IoT manufacturers, cybersecurity professionals, uh, I'm assuming some legal firms may be pitching in as well. Um, so we expect a, um, a response to that consultation from the government after the summer recess. Um, but looking at their implementations, Im implementation plan, it seems like um, regulation will be brought in by the end of the year. So they're working to quite a tight deadline. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we, we had our moment to uh, input some of our uh, some of our guidance and our response to their proposals. Um, we wait to see what they come back with, um, but we will still be engaging with government quite closely on this throughout the rest of the year. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Talal. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can download our uh, State of the Connected Home edition 3 on our website. And, and we're looking forward for you to join us next month for our next podcast. Thank you.